Hey, what's up, guys? It's day 27, and we're going to be looking at chapters 28 through 30 in Exodus. Last time we left off talking about the furnishings of the tabernacle, and I mentioned that we had to cover two more, the bronze laver and the altar of incense. So we'll cover those today. But first, we have to pick up with chapter 28, which talks about the garments of the priests. Now, the garments of the priests are covered in verses one all the way through the end of the chapter. Now, there's going to be something interesting that we're going to notice. There's going to be a similarity between the priestly garments and the tabernacle. And this isn't coincidental. You're getting a glimpse of the meaning of these garments. The priest is to be decked out and to look like the tabernacle itself. What we're saying is the high priest is supposed to look like the tabernacle. Basically, the high priest is a mini tabernacle. He couldn't wear everyday clothes. Their attire had to communicate something. And I'll go ahead and let the cat out, out of the bag. Why did God want the high priest looking like the tabernacle? It's symbolism because right now the high priest is mediating a relationship between the people. There will come a time where there will no longer be the need for a high priest and the temple will come inside people, which is why the priest is wearing these garments and Jesus Christ will be our high priest and gives us this access where we no longer need to go to a tabernacle, obviously, which will later be the temple. This is beautiful symbolism communicated here. And so let's get to some of the, the items now. We know that the high priests are going to be designated as Aaron and the sons of Aaron, which we see here, Nadab and Abihu. But something interesting will happen to them in Leviticus 10. But also you see Aaron's two other sons, Eliezer and Ithamar. And notice what the text says that you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Look at what God is communicating that the priests should represent him because he is glorious and he is beautiful. Not only will the tabernacle be like this, the clothing of the high priests, the people who bring the people to God and bring God to the people will look like this as well. But the first garment we get is in verse four. You have a breast piece and an ephod. This ephod should have two shoulder pieces joined to its ends. That's verse seven. And here's something important in verse nine. You shall take the two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, according to their birth. And see what God is doing here is the priests should always bear the nation. So when the priest goes in on behalf of the people, he's bearing the people, he's bearing the responsibility of the people and bringing the people to God. This is what we're talking about with corporate solidarity. This will come up again with the consecration of the priests. They'll have to sacrifice larger animals because they're representing the whole. When you see other people come and sacrifice their animals, they can bring a lamb or a goat, but the priest has to sacrifice a bull because he represents the people, his sacrifice has to be greater. We'll see that later in the text. 
But notice how the priest is to bear Israel. Verse 12, you should put the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of memorial for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders. And does this sound familiar? Isaiah fit Christ shall bear our iniquities. The priest model what Christ has to do for us. So this symbolism is starting to pick up. And if we can catch it and get it, it'll be a very helpful type to point us to Christ. Now, in verse 15, it says, you shall make a breast piece of judgment, the work of a skillful workman, like the work of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, you shall make it. It shall be square and folded double, a span in length and a span in width. You shall mount on its four rows of stones. And you see this? And look at these four rows. There are going to be four rows of three. The first row is going to be ruby, topaz, and emerald. The second row is turquoise, sapphire, and diamond. And so on with the third and the fourth row. And these four rows of three equal 12. And again, verse 21 tells us why. The stones shall be according to the name of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names. And so we're really digging in on the symbolism here. And we have to grab this verse 29. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment over his heart when he enters the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. You shall put in the breastpiece of judgment the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. And Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. And so let's talk about the ephod and let's talk about the Urim and Thummim. So the ephod is an apron-like garment, but it has many precious stones on it. And it says an ephod of judgment. And we'll start to learn that this garment has supernatural powers. Not only does it help you make decisions of judgment, We'll even see this in 1 Samuel 23, 9 through 11. You'll start to see people say, hey, go grab the ephod. I need to make a decision. The breast piece is for making decisions. Verse 15, the garment has four rows of three stones, each which is engraved with the name of the tribes of Israel. Now, the ephod has this breast piece. And in this breast piece is the Urim and Thummim. And it is placed over his heart. And it is a means of making decisions for the Israelites. And a lot of people have done research on how exactly does this thing work? My mind can't help but go to the movie Iron Man, where Iron Man has this life source that he puts in his chest and it lights up. Now, this didn't help Iron Man make decisions, but it was his life source. And unlike Iron Man, this hidden Israel light source, but it lights up and helps them make decisions. So when you research the word, the most commonly accepted position is either it was a casting of lights, but the most accepted one was light and dark. So this is a gem that would give decisions by giving light or darkness and communicating a message to the high priest 
to show that it was indeed from God. I won't get too deep into this today because I don't have my fall guy with me, Dustin, to pin any of my speculation on today. But this is what the text says, that this Urim and Thummim helped the high priest to make decisions. And next in the text, verse 34, which are the bells of gold, a golden bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe. It shall be on Aaron when he ministers and its tinkling shall be heard when he enters and leaves the holy place before the Lord so that he will not die. And so let's talk about this. So when Aaron was to go into the holies of holies, which he only does this one time of year on the day of atonement, so when he enters the holies of holies, what do you hear? You hear the tinkling and the people around hears that sound and they know the high priest is doing his work. He's bearing them on his chest. He's taking their offerings, their sacrifices in before God. And he's making atonement for their sins, obviously within this system. And if they look to what this system points to, they will be saved. But if they operate and obey in this system, they will even have long life on earth. But the goal isn't just to obey in the system and have long life on earth, it's to obey what the system points to. So he's making this sound and you know he's alive. In fact, this isn't in scripture. People think it's in scripture. It, it may very well be true, but it's not in scripture. Legend has it that a rope would be tied around the high priest's leg in case they didn't hear the bell ringing anymore. What did they know? Yikes, the high priest is dead. And here's everybody being wise. They're like, I ain't going in there to get him. And so the rope is to pull him out in case he makes a mistake. He displeases God. And they have to get them out because nobody wants to go in and die. Remember, the mountain was smoking. God boomed the Ten Commandments out with an audible voice. It scared everybody. Nobody wants anything to do with God directly. They say, look, Moses, handle this for us. Aaron, you handle this for us. Be our mediator, but we cannot face this God directly. He is too powerful for us. He's too mighty for us. This is what legend has. The point is you don't mess around with God. You have to take being in his presence seriously. You have to be riven. And that is so applicable to us today. We have to be riven and take the presence of God seriously. The final garments are the tunics, the sashes, the headbands, and the undergarments. Have you guys guessed what is missing from the list? Shoes. Why no shoes? I think many people have gotten this right and there is no shoes because of Exodus 3. When the high priest enters, he must take his sandals off because the place he's standing is holy ground. He's in the presence of the Lord. And that is so powerful to me. Let's move into chapter 29, which is the consecration of the priests. On chapter 29, it's a devotion to the priests. Now, there's a series of sacrifices used in which we'll discuss later in Leviticus. But right now, I want to give you the name of those sacrifices so you can start familiarizing yourself with them. All you have to know is remember this. We can start here and we can build from here. 
there are only five sacrifices, five main sacrifices, three main feasts, those now, Passover, Unliving Bread, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths, and five main sacrifices. Here they are. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. We are about to enter into Leviticus, and I want you to know that Leviticus is an extended conversation between God and Moses at the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. So basically, Leviticus picks up where Exodus leads off. Aaron and his sons here are to be consecrated by a series of sacrifices and offerings and anointing oil and the donning of the tunics, headbands, and sashes. The entire ceremony is summarized neatly in chapter 29, verses 1 through 9. I won't read those for the sake of time, but if you really want to understand chapter 29, just read verses 1 through 9 and you'll get a summary. I'll read the last verse of that summary. It focuses on Aaron's descendants. Look at what it says. You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and bind caps on them, and they shall have the priesthood by a perpetual statue. So you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. And I wanted to grab that verse so we could know that the priesthood rightfully belongs to Aaron and his descendants. God says that this is perpetual. It has perpetuity. And so if anybody tries to usurp Aaron, we know that they are in sin. I preface that because we're about to see that soon. And so next you'll see all of the sacrifices. Look at verse 10. It says, you shall bring a bull before the tent of meeting. And I want you to see why a bull, because of this term that I was telling you about, corporate solidarity. Look at the difference in the sacrifices uh, for the high priest and those for the people. The priest had to bear. We saw all of the stones that they had to have on their shoulders and on their breastplate. And now they have to have greater sacrifices, not only for their sins, but the sins of the people because they bear the people. And if you'll notice something interesting here, it says in verse 20, you shall slaughter a ram and take some of his blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the lobe of his son's right ear and the thumbs of their right hands and the big toe of their right feet. And some commentators have noted, and I think this is accurate. The reason you do this for the lobe of the ear, the thumb and the big toe is because these are symbolic. Your hand represents action. This is what you do. Your feet represents mobility. This is where you walk and your ears represent listening. This is what you hear with. So you are to obey the voice of the Lord through what you hear what you do and where you go. And you aren't to sin in what you hear, what you do and where you go. And the priests are to represent that for the people. And notice it says this in verse 35, that you shall do this to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. You shall ordain them through seven days. Remember why? Because we're going back to Eden. We're going back to Genesis 1 and 2 where everything was good and God can enjoy his people and the high priest will mediate this. And so they're to consecrate this. And so verse 37, for seven days, you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar shall be 
most holy, and whatever touches the altar shall be holy. So not only do you have to purify the priest, you have to pur- you have to purify the whole altar. And this is going to connect to Jesus's sacrifice in Hebrews 9. We'll pick that up later. And lastly, in chapter 30, we pick up the altar of incense. And this takes us back to the holy place. This was the only furnishing we didn't cover in the holy place. Remember, we had the one in the holies of holies, the Ark of the Covenant. Now we get our third piece of furniture in the holy place, the bread of presence, the lampstand, and now here, the altar of incense. And this is covered here in Exodus 30 verses 1 through 10. And we'll see it again in Exodus 37 verses 25 through 28. It's to be constructed of gold. It's to be constructed of gold. Just like the altar of burnt offering, it has horns. Little has been said about this aroma and how it pleases God. Some suggestions have been, and I think these are very plausible. The smell from the dead animals represents atonement and that smell pleases and satisfies God. And also something else to place before us is the smoke would conceal the atonement cover where God lies. So the priests would not see God and die. In chapter 30, verses 11 through 16, we get atonement money. Now, the money is a reminder to the Israelites that atonement has been made for their lives. This will come up again in 2 Samuel 24. David is actually punished with three days of a plague for taking a census of his of his fighting men. Well, verse 16 says that you shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may be a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Also, we have to cover the bronze laver or the basin for washing. It is in the courtyard. We haven't covered it yet. That was the second piece of furniture in the courtyard. And in the courtyard, we, we also have the altar of burnt offering there. And so this bronze laver is to be placed between this altar of burnt offering and the holy place. Before you can enter the holy place, the priests are to use it to wash themselves before entering the holy place. And the washing is to symbolize the cleaning for sin. And lastly, we get in verses 22 through 38, the anointing oil and the incense. The purpose of the oil is to anoint the tabernacle and the furnishings, thereby consecrating them as was the high priest. This was to be done for the high priest as well. And both are to be set apart for a holy purpose. And I know we're being very technical today, but I really would like us to get all of this down. So when we walk through Exodus another time, we can go deeper in our study of God's word and increase our theology as we all desire to draw near to God in deep study and fellowship of his word. You guys take care and I'll catch you tomorrow as we cover day 28, chapters 31 through 33.